Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., You're listening to DC Public Library on Full Service Radio, recorded for the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, DC. I'm your host, David Quick, Adult Services Coordinator at the DC Public Library. I'm joined today by Asia Clark of DC Public Library and Reggie Kabiko, a legendary slam poet here in Washington, DC. Today, <laughs> on today's episode of Get Lit, we're going to discuss the book with the fire on high by our local literary treasure elizabeth acevedo uh at a time when uh people here in dc and around the world are having to stay home and practice uh, social distancing we've chosen the book as an online one city one book read for dc residents to read from home and connect with each other online we're very excited to be putting this book in front of people and inviting them to discuss the book with each other. Reggie and Asia, thanks for joining me today. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Hi, Asia, and hi, David. I'm super fans of yours and super fans of DC Public Library. And I just want to preface that I'm so excited to get this opportunity, um, especially when we're all at home and um, just to be able to have some kind of of um, artistic cultural sharing um, during this time, so I hope all of our listeners are are hanging in and either curling up with a good book or writing their own own works at this time. Excellent, and that's um, I know some of our online resources right now have been trying to support people who already do a lot of writing, doing more of it, but even for people who may not usually write, using this time to to do that to take care of themselves. So Reggie, we can talk a little bit more about that later. Sure, sure. Um, Reggie, do you want to say anything else about yourself and what kind of work you do? Um, I've been in D.C. for maybe about... Uh, about 14 years now, I'm from D.C. and I'm back. And um, my work in D.C. is as an arts educator, um, but also as a slam poet and also as a a programmatic curator. Um, I produce Caption Fire, which is an international queer spoken word slam. And uh, and I'm... uh, I, I guess I just wanted to throw that out there. So, um, and I'm I'm happy, and I'm actually excited to really discuss Elizabeth Acevedo's book, primarily because um, before moving to DC, I was in New York at Urban Word, and Elizabeth Acevedo was a high school student um, doing after school uh, writing workshops at Urban Word. So um, it's particularly um, exciting and inspiring uh, for me to be here and to be able to read her work. Um, 
Elizabeth Acevedo is probably the only slam poet who has successfully transitioned to be, you know, one of our, one of the country's most celebrated young adult novelists. So, um, and, and that's pretty rare um, because you usually see slam poets go into either theater or into music, but, um, you know, I'm just a huge fan uh, of her. I'm just really proud because a lot of her adult poetry slam work uh, was here in DC. So um, it's, it's just an honor to sort of speak with her new work. And, um, and I think this, this latest work is also um, phenomenal and, and it was a good choice um, to have everyone read this during this time. You know, Reggie, you say something of interest to me before we get into the book um, with the fire on high. Why do you think um, Elizabeth was able to transition so successfully? Do you, if you can answer that, do you think that there was a particular formula? Because you're right, there are a lot of slam poets that go into a different type of art form, um, being some type of performance. Um, drama they can go into theater they you know may transition into acting but for her to transition into a writer so successfully um do you feel like there was something specific that she did um that no one else did or just timing or anything i i i don't really have the answer but i will just say that elizabeth acevedo is um determined and self-demanding and uh, courageous, I, you know, um, I, I think speaking to her and and the theme that I'm getting from some of her slam poems, and the theme that I'm getting um, from Fire and High is the idea of being your own person, and the idea of which I can sort of relate to as as an, a child of immigrants and a person of color, um, you just have to be relentless and um, to to not give up, um, especially um, when you're taking creative writing classes, especially in college, there is a, a formula that is, um, for lack of a better word, sterile and white, and you've got to do it like this, where they don't understand you. And I feel that the reason why I came into SLAM was because no one is going to stop me. I'm going to do my own thing. And I think, um, you know, for her in high school to be determined to take those classes after school shows you that her ambition for writing um, came very, very early. So I feel um, that's that's probably part of the, the, the formula. And also she's just a really um, great human being. Um, and I think um, that's also a factor um, in just being not just a successful um, writer, but also just as an artist. And you can just feel that the passion in, in the words. And if I, if I would just reference the book and, and I just don't want to give spoilers, but you're talking about Imani who wants to be a chef and uh, there is uh, a chef in her high school who is very 
very strict and wants Imani to play by his rules that he sets in class where you can't really deviate from, from the norm. And so she adds special ingredients and uh, the chef is, is impressed by her um, ingenuity, but also uh, frowns on, on her departure from his orders. And so I think that that's, uh, that is really the theme that is um, sticking with me um, after, you know, reading some of the book here. Cool. And I, I know uh, the three of us haven't all finished the book yet, which is okay because we're only at the end of week one of this DC reads. Um, and so many people in DC probably haven't gotten all the way through the book yet either. So that's okay. Um, and we're already getting into the, the heart of this discussion, which is to talk about the book and Acevedo's career and slam poetry and all that stuff and how it relates to each other. Um, before we hop back in, Asia, can you just say a little bit about the kind of the premise of the book and, and what's it about? Um, sure. So With the Fire on High is about Imani Santiago and her life and the tough decisions that she has to make as a teenage parent. Um, you know, she got pe- pregnant young as a freshman. And so we have in the beginning, the foreshadowing of that. And um, we meet as she has this beautiful little girl named Emily and all the things that come with being a senior in high school, uh, facing life, having to make decisions, having to be a team mom, having to navigate relationships. Um, and then her hidden talent or not so hidden talent and, and love of cooking and how that is wrapped into everything. Um, and how that's going to be a part of, um, her, her life choices. So I hope I summarized it without giving anything away. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, Reggie brings up, uh, kind of a a pivotal moment in the first part of the book, which is when Imani, who has this kind of innate aptitude and passion for food, uh, has to take that into the classroom, into a more formal setting and and start to kind of wrestle with those two two energies. Um, Asia, what else from that first part of the book stands out for you? Well, you know, it's funny because listening to Reggie give a nice little synopsis about the permeating theme, um, I didn't think of it that way as far as like, you know, um, there's two things I'm going to say, like as far as her cooking and she kind of deviating and then like that tug and pull. Um, So I'm going to leave that thought right there because there's something that I want to connect that to with one of her outside poems. But I think one of the things that really sticks out to me um, are her details. I always find her very detailed. And I think that that's what is so attractive to her as a writer for young adults, as well as adults. If you, um, happen to be from a city that she might be highlighting in a book or any author, it's always nice to know those things that are very specific to the, to the setting. And she does, to me, that, that, hones in very close to home because I'm from that area. So I love this aspect of the book because I know what she's talking about being an Eagles fan. And I know, you know, 
about West Allegheny and Mount Airy and all those neighborhoods in Philadelphia because that's my home. So mm-hmm. um, I'm actually enjoying savoring over the book in that in that way. I, I also just wanted to add that um, I primarily read poetry and plays, so it's very rare that I get to read prose, but. Um, the short sections work like prose poems sometimes, and I really appreciate um, the the very short chapters and just how um, the sensory details in all of them are are great. But I also love the way that uh, she reveals the information slowly and the way that she carefully unravels. Um, the information of her grandmother's backstory, her parents' backstory, and um, and how they transition from you know one section to another. The transitions are are really um, really wonderful, and um, th- they just make it um, very exciting to read. So I want to note that. Uh-oh. 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 It's all right. It'll be edited out. It'll be edited out. <laughs> but, but he should know to not... He it's should not- know that we could hear. He might be giving personal... <laughs> <laughs> I think he realized it. Hey, so- Jack... It'll be edited out. But he has to turn his mic off. Mm-hmm. All right, let's 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 try to keep going. Yeah. Okay. Reggie, um, yeah, I think that's been, I will, I will uh, admit that this is the first time I've read any of Acevedo's work um, and I didn't read her first uh, YA novel, The Poet X, which was huge and really kind of, launched her quickly into the the world of YA literature. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she became a kind of a superstar really fast. And that book though is actually written in verse. It's written in poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, are there parts of with the fire on high? I mean, you just kind of talked about the structure of the book kind of feeling like prose poems. Is there anything else in the, in the book? And Asia, I'll ask you this too, that feels like you can just hear her, her poetic voice coming through. Yes, absolutely. I think just the way that she uses Imani and her real relationship with food. I think that 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 voice of how her connection and how poetic that connection became for her. I think that is um so good and easy for someone to um appreciate and get into the book without being somebody who even cares about being a chef. It's just, you know what I mean? Like the way she describes her affinity for food. I also appreciate um, how you're able to digest the small, you know, parts of the book and it makes you yearn and want for more and kind of get into her relationships. I'm interested because I'm still early on in section one or halfway through I'm really interested um, in her 
relationship with her best friend. And I'm interested more so in the attraction to Tyrone and the way she has this poetic voice to kind of draw you in as to how she's painting the relationship with her group. Um, and, you know, they're, um, they're comforting, you know what I mean? Because if you are a young adult that's 17, you can relate to it. But if you're a, a grown person, you can also relate to it because it kind of puts you in a nostalgic mode of when you had those type of relationships when you were younger or even now, you know, they might look a little bit different. I also just want to add that as someone who works with high school students, um, it really, it, it really puts me thinking about the mind space of the high school students that I teach, knowing what they're going through. And we all know that there's nothing more difficult than going through high school. And they say that who you are at 16 really forms you. So I mm-hmm. think um, Imani's about 17, I think. Uh, you know, she's in her senior year. And, um, you know, I, I can't imagine being, um, you know, for the most part, uh, a single mother having to have a baby and um, just having limited resources and still trying to pursue your dream or even trying to understand what your dream might be. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, there's this resiliency in Imani that is um, really poignant. And I mean, there are some passages where she talks about love, romance and intimacy in such a way that is um, just real and candid. Um, And so uh, I, I look at each section as, as a surprise and, um, uh, you know, I particularly like being in the, in the, the classrooms. I like going into school with Imani from a student's point of view. And, um, there's one passage in there in, in section one, just about, um, would you like to have ice cream? And we have ices. And to me, that is such a, a high school kind of moment that's just really um, kind of interesting. I, I So I'm sort of like on that journey and I'm feeling um, Imani's attraction with Tyrone. I think like um, I, I'm with it and she's trying to, she's like a, a Jane Austen. I just saw Emma the film and it's like, she's pulling it like Emma. No, I was um, going to echo what Reggie shared. Um, he mentioned earlier about, I guess, the um, the constant um, go-between of how Imani does the flavoring and she kind of like goes off script in her culinary class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it made me think of an experience. I know that she has performed this poem before, I was able to see her locally at um, one of our local uh, bookstores. I won't say the name because I don't want to promote <laughs> one of them. But one of our local bookstores, she um, talked about her experience when she was in school to get her master's in fine arts. And her professor, you know, really basically um, said that her thought of writing an ode to a rat was 
not legitimate because not noble. Yeah, a rat is not noble enough. And so, and thinking about that poem, I, you know, I kind of think about that theme that Reggie noted of how she finds ways to bring her own, what she knows and what she believes will work and how things will, you know, she, you know, there are parts in the book where cooking can be used as this analogy where she's not quite sure how it's going to turn out, but she just wants to go with it. And, and she even surprised herself. And as Reggie was using um, the analogy of food for that, I thought about that poem of how, you know, we have these these experiences and these experiences shape us and they are noble for us. And we, it's up to us to make them noble. And it's up to us to, you know, use those experiences and rise above and, and be successful with it. And I, I, and I love that poem so much because, you know, she, you know, the rat becomes like this archetype, um, you know, sort of speak, um, it becomes this hero and you don't think of a rat as a hero. Right. But you don't, it's because you, you have to open up your mind. And so that's what Amani is kind of doing. You know, she doesn't, Sometimes when you have this figure that is telling you to do things one way, you have to kind of go off script and kind of trust yourself and just see where it takes you. Yes. And then it's also that um, we are not writing or creating or making to please other people. We have to please ourselves first. And so um, what is noble? Um the, uh, when I'm teaching creative writing and then working with kids, um, young young people, they need to find the freedom to be able to choose what they want to do um, and to take that creative choice. Now, sometimes when I'm teaching writing, I ask students to take abstract drawing, not to draw, you know, just as a stimulus to write. And I remember one student went off the rules and started to draw a tear a teardrop with a knife. And I'm like, I told you not to do that. And then I'm like, wow, that was really good. I'm like, never mind. Forget what I said. Keep doing <laughs> what you're doing. You know, and I think as a as a arts teacher, whether you're teaching writing or painting, um you you really need to let let students be themselves because that's the only time in a, in a class where you could just be you and have the time to express who you are and what you need to be and to find the safety to do that. So again, it's just an emotional thing about censorship and um, you know, uh, I think it's ridiculous to say that a rat is not noble enough for literature, that you can only write about crows and um, sparrows and tigers, you know? And I think Elizabeth Acevedo wanted to write about a rat because that is something prominent to her neighborhood. And she sort of wanted to spin it. And I think, um, yes, rats are traditionally considered to be pests here in this country. But um, if you can spin it your way, do your thing, is 
is is is my philosophy, and I feel like um, this book is is uh, you know do your thing, you know. So yeah, I am going to ask a follow up question to that. Um, one thing though about what happens to Amani is that uh, she has that initial experience of having a a teacher in a formal kitchen kind of uh, push back on her more uh, kind of instinctual way of cooking. And she, you know, she cuts class for a while. She's like, forget this. I'm not, this isn't what cooking, this isn't why I do it. Slight spoiler, as the book goes on, she kind of finds a way to draw on both those approaches, both kind of her own innate instincts, as well as formal cooking uh, techniques and kind of kitchen culture led by a staff. She kind of figures out how to make both things work and what's good from both of those. Um, for both of you who've taught young people before and Reggie in the world of poetry, have you seen that happen where you can support a young person just being themselves and like unleashing their creativity, but also giving them some, I don't know, some structure and some f- formality for them to to uh, work within in a good way? Have, um, uh, what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I, I feel like my philosophy to teaching um, writing is to create the simple stem sentence structure and to allow the students to fill that in so, for example, um, um, uh, I used to be the sun, but now I'm the moon. You know, I used so you do. I used to, but then they can sort of fill in those images. You know, um, I used to be a peasant, but now I'm a king. I used to. Be, so I, I think like when you give those stem structures, but then people can fill in. Um, I think that that's how the freedom. I also feel it's important to create a safe space where um, uh, the whole class is on the same page, um, just being able to listen to each other, knowing that um, they won't be, uh, you know, critiqued or heckled. I think creating this safe space and for me to uh, put myself out there in my uh, bombastic, energetic um, wild kind of self will allow other students to come out of their shell. So I, I think um, that that's just really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. um, I agree. I think my experience as a teacher, it was always important, you know, to create that safe space. Um, when you are held to benchmarks and standardized tests in a curriculum, uh, it's really important for a teacher to dig deep and to find those opportunities for you to create safe spaces for kids, for your students to be themselves and to express themselves. Because, you know, learning and expression is not one size fit all. And you don't know that until you create that safe space. Um, and often it's not going, you know, teachers don't always, um, have on their roster 
the opportunity to teach a creative writing class or to make up a class um, based off of interest. Sometimes you have that creative freedom, but oftentimes you do not. Um, Most oftentimes you do not. However, a teacher does own their classroom. Um, And so within their classroom, they can always create that space and make it uh, an opportunity for their, you know, for their students to say, like, I want to try this. I don't know where it's going to go. And it'd be okay. Um, You know, even if, you know, if, if if it's to compare it to a test, I had a mentor teacher one time say, and I've seen this before, where you have a test and, you know, say there's 10 questions and a child may only get one right, you know, instead of saying, well, you got nine wrong, you can say like you, it wasn't all for not, you got one right. So that means you knew something. So that's so much of a better way, right. To build up your, your, your student, the same thing creatively, you want to give them that space to just, you know, express themselves, think, um, you know, put things together, take things apart, dismantle. You know, you don't know until you know. Thanks. Um, that, Reggie, was well you... that was well said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Reggie, I know you do a lot of teaching of young people of poetry. Um, talk more about the world of slam poetry in DC and maybe even just for those people who may have not been exposed to slam poetry before, kind of what it is and a little bit of the history. Sure. Um, slam poetry is the Olympics of performance poetry. It's where a poet has three minutes to perform an original poem without costume, music, or props. So what is written uh, may not actually be a poem. It could be a rant. It could be a rap. It could be a short story. It could be an essay. But um, the Poetry Slam is judged by people in the audience who may not know anything about poetry. So it becomes poetry for the people, decided by the people. And this art form started in the late 80s by a construction worker, Mark Smith, And then I was fortunate to, um, after being rejected in so many auditions in the early 90s, found my way into performing poetry at the New Regan Poets Cafe. So if I, so that's sort of the art form in which, um, I was, uh, trained as a poet, um, bringing the, and I was able to put writing and, um, performance together. So um, the Poetry Slam uh, happens at Busboys and Poets once a month, the Beltway Poetry Slam. Um, Right now, um, as a open mic host at Busboys and Poets, um, all of our programs are suspended. However, we are on Instagram and our um, open mics that occur in the various uh, DC busboys and poets locations have are going through Instagram. So we're constantly, um, we're working on that transition as we go through this new era of um, online performing arts engagement. So um, if you want to check that out, um, I don't know when the next 
Beltway Poetry Slam will be at Busways and Poets, but um, you check their websites. Um, but I think that that art form, and I call it an American art form, just like jazz, um, affects theater and um, literature and, um, you know, to me that three-minute poem is a one, it's almost a solo play. Um, it's it's a play in three minutes. It's an up against the wall moment where a poet passionately speaks their truth or tells their story. And in the early nineties, it was women and people of color who scored well in the slam. And in the nineties, in the birth of multicultural literature, um, that's where I was able to find uh, my own artistic space. So for me. Um, as an arts educator, that's really what I focus on, um, teaching slam poetry because, um, you, you want to pull out performance and you want to pull out the writing. But, but for me, what the challenge is, is, is how could I inspire this student to put their life in on the page? How do I tell them to speak on their survival moments, their up against the wall moment, and to create the space where they have the courage to do that? And um, I think courage is another theme in in this book. Um, and uh, I think we're all going to need courage <laughs> in mm. this um, during this pandemic and in this unprecedented time in our in our history yeah no we're um <clears throat> we're right now thinking about all library resources and how we connect can connect people to them remotely and some of it's kind of very practical stuff like you know work on your resume practice interviewing for jobs that kind of thing but a lot of it's also like how do you feed your soul right now how do you take in music and literature and poetry as a way to just keep your your imagination and your heart alive um so uh hopefully this hopefully connecting with work from somebody like Acevedo hopefully is doing that oh yeah um Asia I know you you talked about when you were still in the more more in the world of education you got to cross paths with Acevedo do you have any memories from that that you want to share? Oh, yes. So I have to give a shout out to Anthony Castro. So when I used to teach prior to moving to DC, I taught at an intermediate school and I created a book club. Two things that I did. I created a book club for young, reluctant readers that were bo for boys specifically called Man Up and Read. But I also started an open mic night and Anthony Castro, who was a colleague of mine at the time, still teaching in New Jersey, holding down the fort, shout out to the teachers and shout out to Anthony. He was like, you know, I'm going to invite my homegirl to the, you know, to the open mic night. And I was like, sure, do it. I don't, you know, I'm all here for it. And it was Elizabeth Escalado. And I like I didn't know who she was at the time. I, and from that standpoint, I didn't know who she was going to become. I knew she was dope. I knew that. Um, and she came and she was kind. She was gracious. She was sweet. Um, 
she talked to the kids. She blessed the mic and did this, you know, there's something off the top of her head. The kids were at all. I wonder if those um, kids that were involved at that time even know what they were in the presence of. I don't know if right now they are putting the dots together. At the time, we had a grant with the um, state of New Jersey, and we were privileged to have various poets and artists come uh, to our school to perform slam poetry and to do workshops. And uh, one of the other uh, poets, her first name was Denise, her last name is escaping me, knew Elizabeth Acevedo. And they, it was just a great opportunity, but I knew then. Denise Foreman? Yes, Denise Foreman. Thank you, um, Reggie. Philadelphia. Yes. Yes. Um, I knew then that I was in the presence of just wonderful women and wonderful talent and the the language that they were, you know, expressing. I was like, wow, this is great. And it kind of put me in a different frame of mind because I had, you know, been working with my kids and to see them motivated in a different way. Of course, you know, I was, I easily stepped aside and said, okay, what can I learn from this? Um, and so I have been following them ever since. And that was probably 2013, 2012. Um, and I continued to follow Denise. I continued to follow, uh, you know, Elizabeth. And there were some other po- um, poets um, that came out of Philadelphia that I knew um, because of, you know, the work. And I'm from that area, so I knew what they were doing. Um, and so when I moved to DC and became a part of the culture here, and I've seen, her growth and rise and just her catapult. I am happy for that moment that I had in my classroom, you know, and as a teacher, when I was, you know, with my third, fourth, fifth and sixth graders um, and just having that moment with her because, you know, she, she still is that same person, but to see her growth, you know, I'm certain that some of my students, they remember that too. I know that they do. I just um, wanted to add, I uh, when I was in high school, Gwendolyn Brooks visited my high school, and I did poetry was not in my career object, objective at that point, but I think people underestimate the value of having a poet in your classroom mm-hmm. and, and, and the effect that that has. And while I didn't understand what it meant to be a poet um, later on in life, I remembered it. And I, I sort of value that, that I actually got to hear Gwendolyn Brooks come to my, to my uh, high school auditorium. And, and, and so that, that's, that's, um, so it just made me think of, of that as you recall meeting Elizabeth Acevedo. Yeah. Um, and that is probably a good segue, particularly as we, we wind down. Um, we talked about the poem Rat, which uh, I think a lot of people will appreciate. We'll post some links to what we've talked about today. Um, but uh, preparing for this conversation, we also each spent some time with one of Acevedo's other poems, Hair, 
um, which um, Asia, I know you had some thoughts on, and we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have been a natural Lista since I was 19, and I am proud to say the last 20 years, yes, I'm a, I'm a, a nice seasoned woman now. Um, <laughs> I love that poem because I know how it feels for somebody to say like, Oh, when are you getting your hair done? And you're like, I just watched it. What are you talking about? Or I just put all this time and, you know, it has been a long road for women of color and for curly girls alike who have had to, um, you know, put in time and changing the social norms of what beautiful looks like. Um, and I appreciate that poem for that, you know, uh, for that alone. You know, I think that I, I like to think that I, I was a visionary because when I was 19 years old, there was no one wearing a curly fro or doing a curly um, look. And over a course of time, you know, it became okay. And then now you have all of, you, you have this movement and you have things to, to point to, like a, a, like a poem. And I think that should be, you know, part of a, a, a commercial, her, her performing that, that should be a, a, a commercial for a curly hair product. <laughs> oh. um, because it does actually, it means so much for, a woman to be seen, you know, and I think that that's what that poem does for women alike. We we are seen. Um, I also wanted to respond. Um, the book opens in the very beginning about combing her daughter's hair, mm-hmm. and it's it's so it's so detailed as to like the the strands in the front, this this this. So that ritual of hair and what that means and the choice you make and, and how that's done um, is, is a very personal ritual for, for a lot of um, women and women of color. So, but, but I think what's really interesting is if we look at Elizabeth Acevedo's slam poems and seeing how the essence of her experience and her passion in those poems translate into the prose. Um, so you sort of get the the full portrait or the full humanity of a writer. So I know if you look at poet fiction writers such as, um, you know, Lorca or, you know, people who write in other genres, you're really, um, or like Sandra Cisneros, you read their poems and they're, their their prose work it it really gives you the that full the full authentic spirit of their humanity which is just so um inspiring and comforting mhm absolutely yes um well that's a that's a nice thought to go out on um reggie uh do you have any other kind of uh events or things happening from the world of poetry in DC right now that you want to highlight? Thank you so much. I thought you would never ask. Um, (laughs) You want to um, check out storytapestries.org. That is uh, 
a, a arts integration organization in which um, I'm working hard to um, create online platforms for workshops um, and recordings. And um, I'm currently talking with DC Collaborative, which is a um, organization that works with schools and teaching artists um, because we're all um, creating new um, online uh, platforms to make arts and arts making accessible during this time. So I just wanted people to know um, that um, poetry can hold us up. Um, write a haiku. I hate haikus, but I just started a haiku chain on my Facebook page. And I'm like, oh, I hate haikus, but I started to do it. And it actually um, centered and grounded me. So um, I will say that um, everyone's assignment is to write a haiku inspired by what they're, what they've seen and what they've experienced. Mm. So I just have to give an assignment to our, our listeners. Uh, very nice. Very nice. Um, Asia, do you have any parting thoughts? Put me on the spot. Why don't you? No, I'm just messing. Um, <laughs> no, I, you know, I just want to appreciate, you know, to show my appreciation uh, to share my, uh, experience with, um, Elizabeth Acevedo, you know, my, my little, uh, small experience in how happy I am to always indulge in, in books like this and Hey, share airways with Reggie. It's always a pleasure. And David, always a pleasure. Well, I hope we could do more on the virtual platform. So please, um, I'm, you know, right now is a time to be innovative and to not follow the rules. Um, and so this is a good time to, um, to discover, um, a whole new platform. So, um, I think, um, DCPL for, um, doing all they can. And if people don't know it, um, I did not know the, the digital, um, services that the library provides. Um, and if you don't have a library card, it is easy to obtain, um, a digital account. And um, this is the best time to explore the phenomenal um, digital resources. Is there a particular site uh, or address that our, our listeners can go on to, David? Sure. Thanks, Reggie. You're doing our commercial for us. Um, uh, our, our main website is dclibrary.org. If you went to dclibrary.org slash go digital, that would kind of take you right to a lot of our online resources. Um, and, and we don't need to have a library card to do that, to get to the source. Um, for some of them, you do need a library card. And right now people can register online for a temporary card, but it'll be good for 90 days. So you can, you don't need a physical card or anything like that to use it. It'll give you a, a card number that will give you access to pretty much all of our online resources. In 90 um, days, we better be able, I'm like praying that we will be able to, uh, to get out of our house. So indeed, we want to see you in 90 days. Yes. Um, and I'll just, you know, as a final thought um, for this DC Reads uh, 
that we're doing with with the fire on high there's unlimited access to the book in our resource overdrive so if you go to overdrive.dclibrary.org um the book will pop right up and as long as you have a library card you can check it out there's there's unlimited access to the book right now um which is really great we're, we're really happy to be able to do that um thank you both for doing this um maybe we'll do it again um hopefully face to face there at the studio at the line um and mm -hmm. i will wrap up this has been an episode of the dc public library on full service radio recorded for the line hotel in adams morgan washington dc for more information about the dc public library visit your nearest library when they're open again or dclibrary.org <laughs> Follow us on Instagram at DC Public Library and on Twitter at DCPL. Uh, please download this show wherever you get your podcasts for searching for full service radio. Thank you for listening. And I'll just say one more thing about DC Reads. Uh, it'll be on our Twitter account at DCPL um, on the next two Saturdays at 2 p.m. 2 p.m. We'll, we'll be having um, online discussions of the book. So we hope you'll join in. Reggie, are there any social media handles you want to share? That's it. Um, also, um, capfireslam.org. Um, we were supposed to have uh, Capturing Fire, our international queer spoken word festival. At William Mammoth was supposed to happen the last weekend in June, but um, we are postponing that for obvious reasons. But check out capfireslam.org, C-A-P-F-I-R-E, slam s-l-a-m dot org thank you perfect cool thank you all right everybody take care and be safe bye-bye